last Sunday was Angie and I's anniversary. We've been married 23 years, and that seems like, for me at least, it seems like a long time ago. When we first got married, one of the things that we did, we got some advice, I think it was from my parents, they said, you need to go and start working on your financial plan for the future. They recommended someone to go and talk to, and so we did. And I'm glad that we did that uh, when we first got married. Uh, life goes along quick, and if you start that early, it can really uh, make a big difference the older that you get. Anyway, we went and talked to this financial advisor when we first got married, and he sat us down and had us do like a, a test. And I think the, the title of that test, or what he told us it was, it was a risk tolerance. If you've ever gone to a financial advisor, maybe you've done this before. A risk tolerance, I'll call it a test. And really, I think what he was evaluating with this risk tolerance was our tolerance for uncertainty. I think that's really what it was. Uh, what our level of uh, tolerance for uncertainty would be. Because the higher your level of tolerance for uncertainty, the greater risk you are willing to take in your investments. And the greater risk you're willing to take in your investments over the long term, the potential greater reward uh, when you get to the end of all of that. That's kind of the theory behind uh, financial planners, right? So we did all of that. And I want you to think about that idea. As we think about anxiety, as we think about uh, anxious thoughts and worry, let's just, uh, let's be honest with ourselves right off the bat. What do you think, if you were to rate yourself, where, where would you put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 when it comes to your tolerance for uncertainty in life? I'll give you just a second to think through that. What, what would you say is your tolerance for uncertainty in life? If it was on a scale of 1 to 10, and let's say that 1 is like you've got no tolerance whatsoever for uncertainty. The wind starts to pick up a little bit, and you're heading for the tornado bunker, right? You get a headache, and you start to have a panic attack that you probably have a brain tumor, and you just can't think about anything else. Or uh, perhaps you would describe yourself as master level professional at the what if game. You ever play that? The what if this, what if that, and then you kind of play it in a loop and you're like master's level at that. Are you at that far end towards the one or would you say you're closer to a 10 uh, where just not a lot rattles you? You've got a really high tolerance for uncertainty in life. Like you're the last one out of the pool when there's thunder and lightning in the distance. Like, that doesn't even bother you. Like, it will be fine. Right? Or maybe you're the kind of person that is not afraid to sign up and teach the junior high class. Like, everybody else is, no! And you're like, yeah, I'll do it. We're advertising for, we're not, but imagine we're advertising for a uh, trip to Haiti, to do a missions trip to Haiti. Now, if you've watched anything in the news right now, you know, there's like they've assassinated their president. The, the capital city is in turmoil. And some of you be like, no way am I going to Haiti right now. And then there's those of you who are like 10, 11 on the risk tolerance or the tolerance for uncertainty. You're like, these people need Jesus. Let's go. Get the plane. Let's go. I don't know where you would be uh, on that scale from 1 to 10, but try your best to try to be honest about where you would put yourself 
on that scale, wherever it is, I want you to know this, even though I would put myself closer to the, the 10. I don't know if I'm a 10, but I'm closer to that end. And I just want you to know that even people who have a high tolerance for uncertainty in life still have anxious thoughts from time to time. We all do. We all have fearful or anxious thoughts over uncertainty or things that may or may not happen. Those those thoughts are normal. Those thoughts pop into our minds based on things that people say or experiences that, uh, that we're going through. The question that we have to answer is you can't, you can't uh, stop things going on around you so that you never have an anxious thought. But the question is, what do you do with it? It's not wrong that you have an anxious thought or a fearful moment. But what do you do with that anxious thought? What do you do with those, those fearful uh, thoughts that bounce around in your mind and then create uh, a sleepless night or you can't eat or whatever, you fill in the blank? In fact, let's do that. If you have uh, the notes page that you got when you came in, would you write down honestly? I'm not going to ask you to pass these in. All right? You don't have to share them with your neighbor. But write down your first response. What is typically your first response to an anxious, fearful thought? You probably have a, uh, a, a typical first response. You have an anxious thought. It pops in your mind. You've got some fear, some anxiety over something, whatever level it is. What's your first response? What do you do with it? You write that down just as a way of acknowledging it, just as a way of recognizing that this is what you typically do, look at it, look at that number, 1 to 10. Do you like what you see? When you look at what you wrote down, maybe you wrote something like, I lose sleep. I'm like right on the edge of panic attack. That's my first response. Like I go, I go right to panic mode. The first moment of fear that I experience. Maybe you're someone who would say, you know, I, I tend to play the what-if game in my mind, and, and I, I play out every scenario that you could possibly think of that's bad, that's negative, and I just loop it. I put it on loop, and I can't, I can't get it to change. I can't get that loop to stop. I don't know what you wrote. No, those are extremes. Maybe you wrote something different, but my question is, if you wrote down something and, and you don't like it, would you like it to change? You're like, I don't, I don't like my first response. I wish my first response was different. I wish, that, I wish that my number was closer to the 10 than to the 1. What if that could change? If there was a way to change it, would you do it? As we're wrapping up this series together called It's All in Your Head, I want to first just thank Pastor Caleb. I think he's on vacation today, so hopefully he'll hear this uh, at some point. just want to thank him for doing such a great job with the topic last week about our negative thoughts. I personally found it really, really helpful. I hope that you did too. I really, really like the idea of reframing, of choosing how we define uh, or give meaning to things that people say or uh, things that happen in our lives that we, through the power of Christ, are able to give meaning to that. It doesn't have to be assigned to us. I, 
I thought that was really, really helpful. In fact, I find this, uh, this whole series has been super helpful. If you think about some of the stuff that we've learned, we talked early on about how sometimes we kind of beat down a path, our first response, like what you wrote down. Over time, if you continue to have uh, your thoughts go places that they shouldn't go, and you allow that to continue over time, you kind of beat down, you wear down a path, a rut, if you will, in your thinking, and so that's just automatically what happens. Something happens, someone says something, uh, or whatever, and your first thought goes into that rut. Right? Sometimes that happens. But we also learned that we're not doomed to stay in that path forever. We don't have to always have wrong or unhealthy thinking. We learned that we can choose what we think about. We can redirect our thoughts away from wrong, unhealthy thinking, things that don't belong in our minds. We can do that through the power of Christ. We learned that through the power of Jesus Christ, uh, we can can, uh, be set free from those thoughts that have strongholds, that hold us captive, that make us slaves to, to these anxious or wrong thinking Uh, unhealthy thinking, sinful thinking, we can be set free from that. And through the power of Christ, we can actually, uh, He can, we can make those thoughts obedient to Him through His His divine strength. And so I find this uh, this entire series has been super helpful for me. I hope it has been for you. Today, we're going to talk, as we wrap up the series, we're going to talk about, I think, one of the most common struggles in our thinking. And it's anxious thoughts. I think that's one of the most common struggles that we have in our thinking. If you would join me in Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. I appreciate uh, Ryan kind of got your mind moving in the right direction with that verse. We appreciate that. I want to go back to it now. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. I want to read this passage to you. Pay attention carefully as I read it to some of the key words, because there's some contrasts in these verses that that we don't want to gloss over, that we want to make sure that we don't miss. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious, anxious thoughts, about anything. All right, so what's the contrast to that? Well, in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The result of that is this. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. By show of hands, how many of you have ever heard this verse, these two verses? You've heard it. Okay, I'm not surprising if you've been to church at any length of time, you've hung around Christians for any length of time, I'm sure you've come across, you've heard this verse, you've probably heard it referenced in sermons or an entire sermon based on these two verses. I sometimes wonder, though, if it has become a cliche for some of us. I wonder how many of us actually live that out as our first response to anxious thoughts. In other words, 
It says here, our first response, not our last resort, our first response is supposed to be prayer. I wonder how true that is of us as followers of Christ. I wonder if, if, uh, if we would be honest enough to admit that it's probably, for, for, uh, for some of us, it's not, it's not the first response. We know that it is, or, or should be, but it's not always we, if we were being honest. Sometimes it's, it's not even number two or three. Like it's, it's, well, nothing else worked. All we can do now is pray. But what if that wasn't true? Like what if, what if we actually consciously, intentionally work towards living out Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Work towards making prayer our first response instead of our last resort. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to focus our thoughts, we're going to focus our minds together on these two verses, and we're going to see what we can learn about prayer. We're going to see what we can learn about how is it we can move prayer from wherever, whatever position it is. Maybe, maybe uh, it's two or three right now. Maybe it's farther down. But let's see if we can learn how do we move prayer from whatever position it is now into first position. We certainly don't want it to be last resort, and maybe it's not there for you. But we want to make sure that we're moving it into first position as far as how we respond to anxious thoughts. How do we take our tolerance for uncertainty, move it farther away from the one and closer to the ten? How do we, how do, we do that? So here, here's how we're going to start. Uh, I think in your notes, I have a fill in the blank. And if you're just taking your own notes, you can write out the whole statement. If you're using the digital notes... Uh, I think I have the whole statement written out there for you. And you can just type in uh, whatever, whatever will be helpful. Here's, here's the full statement. Trust in God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Trust in God will increase your tolerance for uncertainty. And it will decrease your anxiety. That's what we want, right? We want our tolerance for uncertainty to increase. We want our anxiety to decrease and we find that happening when we trust in God. That's what we're going to learn this morning from these verses. Because let's go back to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We're going to break that down. We're going to put uh, those two verses to the test this morning and see uh, how it is that that statement, which I believe to be absolutely true. The first part of that verse uh, simply says, Don't worry about anything. Don't, don't gloss over the word anything. Don't cross it out uh, or put a parenthesis beside it that says, except for, don't do that. Don't be anxious about anything. I don't want you to answer out loud, and you don't even have to write it down, but I do want you to be honest with yourself. What makes you anxious? Can you identify? Is there something that uh, tends to make you anxious? in your thinking. Two weeks ago, I was serving at Camp Manawagon for the week, and uh, one of my responsibilities, in the afternoon, they send some of the kids to the lake, and some go canoeing, and some go to the water slides. And my responsibility uh, the, in the afternoon was to go to the water slides. And I don't really have anything that I necessarily do. I'm there 
case something goes sideways. I don't know. Someone flies off a slide. I'm the one, I don't know what I'm going to do if that happens. But I'm there in case something goes wrong. Because they have lifeguards. They have, uh, they have the kind of first aid kind of people. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not there in case uh, they need to repair a water slide. I, I'm, there, I'm there in case something goes weird. Anyway, I tell you that to say I was working on my sermon. That's, that's why I'm telling you all. So I'm, I'm at a picnic table, and I was working on this sermon, and uh, I had my notes there, and I'm trying to type. I'm by myself, and uh, at this picnic table, and it's right by the snack bar. People can, you know, if the kids need me, if the counselors need me, I'm accessible. So it starts to rain, and this lady comes underneath where I am. There's like a roof there, and she comes over, and she, and she says, do you mind if I sit here? Uh, during the rain. That's uh, fine. So I'm, I'm typing. She sits down. Well, what she didn't tell me was that she had six teenagers with her that day at the water slides. And so when she sat down, the six teenagers came and they sat down. And immediately I knew, well, I'm not going to get much done here. Uh, because out of the corner of my eye, I'm trying to you know, kind of stay focused. And out of the corner of my eye, I can see the one teenager. And he's like looking at my notes. And he's kind of reading. He's like, Looking at my notes. What are you reading? And uh, so he just can't take it anymore, and he asks. He says, what are you doing? Well, I'm working on a sermon. And he said, oh, I thought that's what you were doing. Okay. And so we got into this conversation, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make the most of this. I'm not going to get frustrated. You know, these people are bothering me while I'm trying to work. I'm, I, I reframed the situation, right? And I thought, I'm going to make the most of this. I've got uh, students here. They look like they were older teenagers, um, maybe still in high school, first year college, that, that kind of age group. And I thought, I'm just going to ask them, what makes you anxious? And so, uh, guys, as long as we're here, I'm working on this sermon on anxious thinking. What makes you guys anxious? And I just went around to each one of them, and I, I asked uh, them, and uh, one of them said, uh, School, like just school in general, makes makes him anxious. Another one said, "Deep water, you know, deep water makes him fearful or anxious." Uh, one of the girls said, uh, "What people think about her." Uh, just that social dynamic, I guess, at school. And then the kid, no kid, the kid to my left that was like looking at my notes, he says, "Pink Floyd songs kind of make me anxious." All right. I have a therapist. You might not. I was thinking about that. You know, these students, uh, they, they probably have some pretty common things in life that cause them to have anxious or worried thoughts. The things that happen at school, like maybe their grades, um, maybe the social dynamics. You know, do people like me? If I do, you know, this or I mess up, then I'll get made fun of. Those are kind of the normal anxious thought things. Uh, I, I know that as you get closer to that senior year in high school, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, what's next? People ask you all the time, what's next? What's next? Uh, are you going to go to college? If, if you're going to go to college, what are you, where are you going to go to college? What's the career? You're like 17 years old, and people are asking what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And uh, I think it creates a lot of anxious thoughts for a lot of, uh, a lot of students. And then you, then you think about the parent side of that, and I know students, maybe you don't get this yet, but you will. From the parent side, 
there are some common things that parents tend to either worry about or have anxious thoughts about. One of them is your safety, uh, the, the safety of our children, uh, their future, uh, how they're being treated by other, other students. Those kind of things sometimes um, cause anxious thinking for us. And, and I kind of went back then from that even and just thought about some of the things that uh, as we move from uh, young, a young student all the way through young adulthood and, and then uh, eventually we kind of move into this uh, senior adult life. And there are things that I think are common uh, throughout life that can, maybe it's not for everyone, but can for a lot of people create anxious thoughts. I think family safety uh, you have someone that's uh, traveling on a trip or uh, they're on a, a job site, whatever. There's a lot of things you can fill in the blank there. But you're, you, there's, there's uh, sometimes this worry about safety of our family. Sometimes uh, we worry about the messed up family situations that we have going on. Listen, you're not the only one with messed up family situations. Pretty common. And sometimes that can cause anxious thinking and worry. Then there's finances, whether it's uh, you're worried about debt, you're worried maybe about how you're going to pay certain bills. Maybe you're worried, maybe you're at that stage in life where you're worried that you're going to have enough to even retire. Or, or what you have, are you going to have enough? Are you going to outlive your retirement? These are maybe some thoughts that people have as they get older about finances or even our health. Uh, you know, the older you get, statistically, uh, it's just normal that things wear out, and uh, the probability of having something health-wise uh, impact you or someone that you care about, that, that uh, probability goes up just because we get older and our bodies wear out. You know, and maybe the health of someone that you love or your own personal health causes you to have anxious, anxious thoughts. I want to be as transparent with you as I can, so you want to know what it is, what kind of anxious thoughts I battle Anxious thoughts that I struggle with. Now, again, I, I want you to know that I, I see myself as closer to 10. I don't think I'm a 10, but I'm definitely closer to that end. There's not a lot that rattles me. I mean, last summer, we had baptism at the Martinsburg pool, and there was literally lightning in the background the entire time we were doing it. And I was okay with that, right? And everyone's like, please don't let him die. Please don't let him die. So I'm closer to the 10 on this, but there are still things that I battle when it comes to anxious thoughts that I struggle to fight back against. One of them is when, uh, when my kids, I have two kids that drive. Uh, one, obviously, um, when, she's, when Hannah is away at college, she's not driving even in the area. She's out with her friends at night. And, uh, and, and Elijah, you know, whenever he's out driving, and I, I, I fight, I battle against anxious thoughts until I know that they're home or that she's back in the dorm. And I don't mean just like normal parental concern. I'm saying to you that it is like, if I let it, it consumes me, if I let it. Like I can't go to sleep until I know that Elijah's in the door or that Hannah's back in the dorm. I battle that. Rather than trusting that God is, 
is watching out for them and all of that. Right? I know all of those things. I'm just being honest that that's sometimes a struggle for me. Another one that I would say that I, I uh, struggle with this week, I'm headed to Indiana, uh, Goshen, Indiana, for our national conference. And I have a couple presentations I have to make at the conference. And even, even now, it happens every time I go, I have to fight. I have to battle back against anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts that I'm going to do or say something stupid and that people will think less of me or, or, uh, or think, why in the world would they put this guy in charge of anything, right? Those, those are the kind of thoughts, fearful, anxious thoughts that I have to battle back against. And maybe you can't relate to those. Maybe yours is something different. I don't know what it might be, but what do we do with those thoughts? Maybe before we get to the answer of that, I think maybe we could maybe even take one step back from that question and ask this one. How do we know the difference? Like, where's the line between legitimate concern, love for other people, or, you know, responsible uh, behavior in life? Where, where's the line between that and a sinful, worried, fearful, anxious thought? Like, what's the difference between those those two, because I don't think that God wants us to live irresponsible lives. I don't think God wants us to be apathetic, where we just walk through life and we don't give a rip about anything or anyone. So I was thinking about how do we know the difference between legitimate concern that's motivated by love, that's healthy, and this worried, anxious thinking that's not healthy, that's sinful. How do we figure that out? So. I, I was reading just a bunch of different verses from God's Word about anxious thinking, about worry, and I noticed that there is uh, there's this repetitive theme uh, when those types of things are addressed. It has to do with emotional distress and a lack of peace. That's what I noticed was I was I was reading through these different verses. And there's lots of them. It seems like they're addressing God is addressing through the writers of Scripture this emotional distress that robs us of peace. So as, in a way, as a way to evaluate, is this a legitimate concern? Is this healthy thinking? Or have I crossed the line into worry and anxious thinking that is not honoring to God? I think we can put it to this kind of test. Do I lack peace in my heart? Do I lack peace in my heart? Do I not have joy in my heart? Is the joy gone from my heart? Do I not have a confident hope in my heart that God is at work in my life, that God is at work in this situation? Like, is that confident hope not there? Have I allowed fear to paralyze my life to the point where my priorities, my actions, uh, the things that I spend time thinking about, like it's all focused on this thing that I'm fearful of or worried about, and it drives my choices, it drives my priorities. If we would answer, yes, I don't have joy, yes, I, I don't have peace, I'm, I'm just consumed with fear, then we have crossed a line from concern into worry, to anxious thinking. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this, too, the verse does not say, and we go back to it, the verse says, don't 
be anxious about anything. We're not talking about being uh, irresponsible. It says don't be anxious about anything. When you read other commands in Scripture, and I'm sure that you have, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal, right? You've heard of these. When you read those, when you hear those commands from Scripture, uh, do you think to yourself, those sound pretty optional? I mean, do you treat it like my wife treats stop signs? When she... When she sees a, a stop sign, pretty sure like if it doesn't have an underline under the word stop, she thinks it's optional. I'm kidding. She's a good driver. But is that how you treat the commands of God, the other commands that you read in Scripture? If we do something, I'm going to test your theological. Let's see how theologically sharp you are this morning. You ready? If you or I do something that God says don't do, there's a word for that in theology. What is it? Yeah. Worry is a sin. Worry is choosing not to trust in the promises and the power of God. Worry is sinful thinking, and we need to treat it as such. Do you? Do you treat worry like a sin, or you're like, listen, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not someone who thinks that raisins would be good in oatmeal. Like, I'm not a terrible person. I'm just a worrier. Is that how you treat it? Do you treat worry like a sin? How about this one? Just going to tell you right up front, this is going to make some of you really uncomfortable. I'm going to hit you with it anyway, because I love you. Do you treat worry like a badge of love? Do you treat worry like a badge of concern? I'll put it this way. If I don't worry, I don't really care. If I don't worry, that means I don't really love. Is that how you think about worry? If it is, that's distorted thinking about love. That's not love. And you need to reject that way of thinking about worry. You need to reject that way of thinking about love. 1 John 4, 18. I just want to read the first part, and I'll give you the context of the verse in just a moment. Just listen to the verse. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear and love don't go together. They don't hang out and hold hands in the same room. They're, they're not buddies. The context of that particular part of that chapter, if you read through that whole chapter of 1 John chapter 4, the context of the verse has to do with a believer in Jesus, someone who's saved, uh, not having to walk through life being fearful or worried about the wrath of God on Judgment Day. That's what the context of, of that passage is about. God's wrath has already been appeased by Jesus Christ on the cross through His blood sacrifice. So we don't, as believers, we don't have to sit around wondering, does God still love me? 
We don't have to worry whether or not we ha- uh, are we going to be good enough to get into heaven when we die. The love of God was already demonstrated towards us when Jesus died on the cross for us. His sacrifice is proof that we don't have to be afraid about judgment day when we stand before God. So long as we have put our faith in Jesus Christ to make us right with God. That's the context there. And it's an important thing to understand about the gospel. But I think it's also proof that fear and worry don't go together. They don't equal love. We need to see worry for what it really is. It is sinful thinking. It's not noble. It's not a sign of love. It's not God-honoring. It's letting the sinful nature control our minds instead of letting the Holy Spirit direct our thinking. Worry says, I don't believe God's promises. I don't really trust God. So if we want to increase our tolerance for uncertainty, if we want to decrease our anxiety, we have to learn to trust God. So how do we do that? Well, first, we have to treat worry like what it is. It's sin. And we have to look at it that way, and we have to treat it that way. The second thing it says here is in every situation, we're to pray. We're to pray. In every situation, not not pray after you've tried everything else and failed, not pray after you've lost three nights sleep. In every situation, it says, pray. Let me clarify what it's not saying. Prayer is not the removal of personal responsibility. If you have a test, right, we're going to get back into school here in the fall, students, and you have a test, study for it. You have health problems. Do what you need to do to address those health problems. If you have financial problems, spend less, cut up the credit cards. I mean, there's things that you can do to address that. That is your responsibility, no one else's. We need to practice. We need to prepare. We need to be responsible people, be a good parent. Be a good example. Be a good spouse. Live a Jesus-centered life. Those are our responsibilities. The, the Bible is not calling us to a life of akuna matata. You familiar with that term? If you're not, akuna matata is this idea where we just live this, this careless, apathetic, irresponsible life. Because who cares? The Bible's not calling us to that. But so much of life is outside of our control. So instead of letting anxious thoughts run amok in our minds, we're to pray about everything. What do you do with your anxious thoughts? This says pray about everything is what you do with your anxious thoughts. Pray about everything is what we do when we trust God with everything. When we trust God with everything, we're praying about everything. And when we trust God with everything, our tolerance for uncertainty will go up. Our anxiety will 
go down. Prayer, from a biblical perspective, prayer is not uh, just something that is supposed to be surface level or mindless. Prayer is about laying our life out before God. It's declaring our dependence on Him. Prayer is about declaring our need for God. Prayer is something that changes us. There's a a doctor, Caroline Leaf, who wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain. And in that uh, book, she, she writes this. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. It's kind of nice that science finally caught up to the Bible. (laughs) The Bible has been claiming that for centuries. Romans 12.2, we looked at that verse a few weeks ago. Romans 12.2 says that a renewed mind results in a transformed life. Prayer redirects our hearts and our minds towards trusting God. And the result, it says here, is the peace of God. The peace of God that moves beyond comprehension. The peace of God that doesn't make sense to a world that doesn't trust God. That kind of peace, the peace that comes from God's divine power, says here, guards our hearts, guards our minds from what? From anxious thinking. Biblical peace is the opposite of anxiety. Biblical peace, it's not numbness, it's not unconcern, it's not apathy, it's not being disconnected from reality. Biblical peace is hope-filled confidence. It's divine strength to function when life goes sideways. Biblical peace is unrelenting joy. It's an inner satisfaction. It's an inner contentment, even when life is less than ideal. Trust in God increases our tolerance for uncertainty. It decreases our anxiety. And prayer is the vehicle. Prayer is the the heart position that moves us towards greater trust in God. Let me see if I can do this uh, with you, real practical. Challenge for you this week. Get a box. It could be a shoe box. I don't know if you're like my house. It seems like these stupid Amazon boxes show up every day. I don't even know what's, what's in them, right? So uh, get a box. And you can write whatever you want on it. Uh, This one says, give my worries to God. This side says prayer. You can put on whatever you want. Here's here's how we're going to use the box. Get the box. And then when you have a worry, when you are experiencing an anxious thought, get a piece of paper and write on the piece of paper the worry, the anxious thought. Uh, Let's put here, I'll I'll do this, uh, the worry... People think I'm a toad at the workshop that I'm leading, okay? 
So if I have this thought, I'm going to write it down, this anxious feeling, I'm going to write it down, and we're going to put it in the prayer box, the give your worry to God box, whatever you want to call it. Pretty simple, pretty easy, and then pray. Pray, Lord, I'm giving this worry, I'm giving this anxious thought to you. Got it? Here's the hard part. The hard part is, let's say 10 minutes later, a half hour later, a day later, the worry comes back. And you let it there, right? You let it bounce around. You let it have some space to hang out in your mind. And you feel it. And uh, you just, instead of praying about it right away, you just kind of experience all of that. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I want you to go back to the box. And I want you to pull that out of the box. I want you to say out loud, Lord, I don't trust you with this, and I'm taking it back. Does that make you uncomfortable? Good. It should. The very thought of doing that, taking it back, should make us uncomfortable. It should push us to to deal with the reality that that's what we're doing if we continue to worry, if we continue to allow these anxious thoughts to dominate our mind instead of trusting God with it. We need to treat it that way. I want to finish in Psalm 139. Would you go there with me? Psalm 139. I think this will be super helpful, a simple prayer that I think will be helpful to us. Uh, go to verses 23 and 24. It's at the end of that psalm. That's the, that's the prayer I think is going to be helpful. But David starts off Psalm 139 by declaring that he, he knows that God knows every move he makes. That God knows every thought he thinks, that God knows every motive of his heart. He declares that. He declares that there is nowhere that he can go to avoid or to hide from the presence of God. We cannot hide anything from God. And then David says that God has a plan, a good plan for his life. Like even before he was born, God knew and had a good plan for his life. And as David reflects on the sovereignty of God, he asks God this. In verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. What does David, as, as, as he reflects on the sovereignty of God, that God already knows everything, there's nothing hidden from him. What does he ask God to do? He asks God to search him and look for specifically hurtful. I don't know the version that you might have. It's uh, maybe worded a little bit differently. Hurtful sinful ways in his heart and anxious thoughts in his mind. That's what he's asking God to look for. I find that fascinating. Search me for sinful ways in my heart and anxious thoughts in my mind and then lead me 
somewhere different. Lead me away from the sinful things in my heart, the anxious thoughts in my mind. Lead me away from that and into your everlasting ways. What if you prayed that simple prayer every day? What if you prayed, Lord, lead me away from sinful ways in my heart. Lead me away from anxious thoughts in my mind and teach me to trust you and your ways. That simple prayer, I think, could move your heart to trust God more. And trust in God more is what is going to increase your your tolerance for uncertainty in life and decrease your anxiety. Prayer is what's going to move your heart into that position of trusting God. It's all in your head, right? It's all in your head. Change your thinking, change your life.